This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. Doug Bursch, welcome to Viral Jesus. And so some people want that. They want you to be a little more perfect than them. They want you to be a destination that they can reach. And this is very dangerous to present yourself as a destination people can reach. It's like, if I do what Doug does, I'll have the marriage Doug has. Or if I do what Doug does, I'll have the kids. Or I'll have the... And so they don't want to hear that you're just like them. They don't want to hear that you're still depressed today, even though you have lots of followers, because they want, once I get enough followers, I'll no longer be depressed. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. As a professor of communication and rhetoric at Colorado Christian University, I spend most days talking to my students about the power of your own voice and using your voice to empower, encourage, uplift, and reflect. And at its heart, that's what Viral Jesus is all about. In every episode, we'll talk to Christian practitioners of communication and social media. But since the classroom is my first love, we'll also take a quick minute to dig into some of the fundamental concepts of the field. A 2017 survey found that 40% of American adults had personally experienced online abuse, with almost half of them receiving severe forms of harassment, including physical threats and stalking. 70% of women described online harassment as a major problem. This phenomenon is known as the online disinhibition effect. Essentially, being online lowers your inhibitions. This often results in people either behaving meaner or opening up more online than they would normally do in face-to-face conversations. So how can we be better? And why are even nice people suddenly mean online? Our guest today is Douglas Birch, co-pastor of Evergreen Foursquare Church and radio host. Douglas Birch is the author of Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. He's also the author of The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. So I like to start our interviews by reading the person's social media post. That's Uh super fun for me, super uncomfortable for the people that we have on. But here's what I put for you, Doug. It says this. Some of us have Twitter verification check marks in our hearts. (laughs) I laughed out loud when I read that. What have you found to be difficult about navigating your own social media account and growing a community to, by the way, nearly 11,000 people without a check mark? What have you found to be the most difficult part of that process? Well, I got nervous when you just said that you, <laughs> I, I, when people say they follow me on Twitter, I almost want to apologize right. because I'm like, everything that comes to my mind, I, I tweet, I post on Twitter. And so uh, for me, it's funny. And even the verification check mark tweet, that's probably me uh, actually being a little 
upset that I can't find a way to get very, it's a passive aggressive attack. Neither can I. Help us, Twitter. If you hear this, please. Well, you know, I joke, you know, it's the mark of the beast. I've told people, you know, it just, and and my friends who have verifications, it's good to, you know, you can attack them. They got the verification thing, but, but now Twitter hasn't verified in the last year. You go to the place to be verified. I'm sure you've seen that or other people, because it is frustrating, especially (laughs) for people who've had other people impersonate them and such, which, which I'm not that famous, but uh, I'm not even close. I can't even <laughs> use the word famous. But anyway, so that that's an issue there. Oh, for me, for Twitter, like this is fascinating for your podcast because I love this because there is an aspect of a Christian perspective. And I get a little troubled with some of the terms about branding. I understand the concept of you want people to see who you are, but I personally really don't enjoy any social media presence where you know someone is just kind of packaging their life Yes. And so to me, I thought, I'm just going to be as authentic as I can be and see what happens, that they would accept and reject the core of who I am. And that's kind of how I pastor as well, because people Mm. will eventually hate you no matter what. (laughs) So why not have them reject you doing what you love instead of rejecting you doing kind of a a presentation of who you are versus the reality? So I don't know if that answers the question, but for me... Be as authentic and as being a pastor, that's going to be interesting to pastors. Being a writer, it's going to be interesting to writers. And being someone who's just kind of lives within culture, I hope it'll you know resonate with some people. And you know, it's funny because all of the guests that we've had on for our first season have said something similar. And so I think that there's something to be said about people who do this really well, kind of tend to have that view of, I'm just going to be who I am. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. So the other day for me, I went through my old tweets because people keep telling me, people who are far more successful than me say, you should really go through and delete your old tweets, which I have not done yet. But I went back through my Twitter and I saw that my voice has kind of changed. And I didn't even realize that Mm. until going back to 2013 and seeing, and I was just way more aggressive back then. Have you seen anything (laughs) like that with you? Have you, as now there's 11,000 people watching you as opposed to a couple hundred mm. has your voice changed wow this almost feels like an intervention i'm like oh no <laughs> i promise it's not have i have i well one thing i don't think eleven thousand people are actually looking at my tweets i think maybe ten thousand of them have muted me and not told me because they're like what in the world does he literally have to tweet everything that comes to his mind i think it's interesting that concept of deleting your past mm. tweets I, I like the concept of twitter being a record of who okay. you are And it's who I am. Now, I I understand if someone has done really derogatory, (laughs) racist, uh, terrible things, and they're changing their opinions. They're not just trying to hide their past, but they don't want that stuff out in the world or they're argumentative. But for me, I kind of want people to see that. Also, anything I write, I want preserved because there's just a part of me that, oh, it was so perfect. (laughs) I I need to have that little tweet there. But yeah, so but if I look at it, the change for me is being learning how to interact with people. That's the part where I think I've grown Mm. is you learn through conflict, right? Someone gets upset and then the way you respond to them, you're like, hmm, you know, next time maybe I'm going to do this differently. So that's probably the most profound difference. Uh, For instance, I'm a man. I don't know if people realize that, but I tend to mansplain. Okay. I do. I I just... (laughs) I know Even others you owning that and saying that that is just by the way, for those of you who are not following Doug, I hope you will go on Twitter and look for him. But this is just who he is, right? He's super honest about his flaws and the things that he likes and the things that he doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it's so neat to I, this is the first time I've actually talked with you and your personality comes through your social media. Like there's this joy. The thing about you, too, is I see you're not just 
you know, some people can be happy and share positive things, but they're shallow, in my opinion. That sounds really judgmental, <laughs> but it's just kind of like, ah, oh, another kitten <laughs> picture, you know? Okay, great. That's their, their life. But for you, there's also a depth. And so there's even sometimes a, like, I don't see you as harsh edges, but when you speak the truth, the truth right. divides. People accept right. it or reject it, right? But but because you surround it with just this clear sense of love and the character of Christ, then I want to listen if you say something that I feel like is correcting a part of me or challenging a part of me. But yeah, for for me, the biggest change, like mansplaining, you, you learn you mansplain when someone responds to you and accuses you of that. <laughs> and the first thing a man wants to do is say, I'm not a mansplainer. <laughs> And this is the catch-22, right? Because if you start explaining right. that you're not a mansplainer, you become the very right. thing you're trying not to be. So I learned in the beginning, I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't mean that, blah, blah, blah. And I would say all these things to justify because I, I want to please people and not offend anyone. And now when someone accuses me of that, and it hasn't happened in a while, but I just say, you know, thank you. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm going to work at that. Um, you know, I might say that wasn't my intention, but if that's what you read, that's what I'm doing. You know, I, I, at some level, just to validate, and sometimes with social media, we're so worried about our identity that we begin defending our identity at the cost of relationship. Mm -hmm. So for me, I want to develop a relationship with that person to validate what's going on, to say I care about any dividing walls of hostility. You know, as a pastor, sometimes people just assume you're a certain thing right. based on how they've been treated by other right. pastors. And I have to build that relational equity to speak into their lives. So that requires less defensiveness, less arguing, more listening, asking questions, being apologetic, or maybe even humble in your first interactions so you can earn the right to speak into someone's life. And do you think that that has trickled into your real life? The experiences hmm. that you have online where people are more likely, I think online, you're just, you get poked a lot, right? So people are more likely because it's just a little profile picture to tell you what they really think. When you run into those situations in real life, is it easier now for you to say, you know what? I've been here before. I've had a hundred people tell me they don't like my idea. So this is okay. <laughs> I wish life was easier for me. You know, the whole get thick skin. Yeah. I have one level of skin. It's thin. <laughs> I can dish it out. I can't take it. I'm easily hurt. I can know the right thing. Like I can tell you what I know is right. I can tell myself what's right. But my emotions are like, we, we're not going to have any of that. We don't care what you think, Doug. We're just going to feel hurt, right, right. betrayed and sad. And, you know, but it's fascinating. I have changed in this. And this occurred with radio. For five years, I did a radio show. It was on a conservative far-right Christian station, which most Christian stations across the U.S. are conservative far-right. And uh, I'm not. I'm just kind of in the middle. Some things I'm progressive, some things conservative. I was trying to do a moderate thing. And I would just get attacked. I mean, this is my personality. This is how I was. So it's not like I'm yelling and angry at people. But I would get some of the meanest, angriest, terrible emails I, by the way, I knew they were terrible when they would start it with, Dear Mr. Birch, the more cordial the greeting, the more they're going to tear into me later. Right, right. But what I realized is on the radio, I just begin to share who I am because one-on-one, -on -one, I'll probably share things relating to you. Like even, even you and I, I'll probably try to steer the conversation towards what honors you or what our relational past is or whatever. But, but when you're talking to a large group, you just start sharing who you are. And I realized on the radio, I was sharing parts of me that other people didn't know were there. So mm. in my, with conservative groups, I'd try to not say something too much that offends. And with progressive groups, trying to say something to offend. But they didn't really know who I was. So radio did that. And social media is the same way. And it's the strength and weakness of it. It's almost like an advertising of oneself. So you just present yourself in a general way. 
And then it has specific implications to people. And so I think in some ways there's parts of me that's more authentic through social media than I am in person. Mm. And it's not that I'm, I'm being duplicitous in person. It's just if I'm talking to a friend or someone in my church or a, uh, anyone, I'm going to gear it towards more what's good for our relationship versus what will just cause unnecessary conflict. Uh, online, you just kind of present that. So people start seeing your views on, on important issues. Here's what fascinates me. And, and my question that I have for you next is about your book that just came out oh. that everybody should go by right now because we're all using social media. So you should really read a book to talk to you about your social media use. By it's the way, called- Heather, I did not come, I did not come on this podcast to promote my book, Posting Peace, we are going to Why promote- Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Again, I'm saying Posting Peace, <laughs> Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. I'm not going to promote it. I hope it. everybody I'm not going to say Posting that. Peace several times. We want so. them to go buy Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. I hope they'll buy it. But I want you to talk to us about that book. And here's what just fascinated me about what you said. You said that in some ways you feel like you're more your authentic self online, which a lot of people would not expect the guy who's writing a social media book to say, right? We would expect you to say it's horrible and it's negative and all these horrible things. But for you to say, actually, it's allowed me to be more myself. I think that's super fascinating. Can you tell us about that? Tell us about the book. It's good to take inventory. One of the biggest things I think in the book, even if you don't like my explanations or the conclusions I come to, anyone who goes through it and takes seriously at the end of each chapter, I have challenges of ways for people to look at their social media presence. Uh, You read a tweet of mine when we started this. I've often told people, uh, if you died today and someone read your last 10 posts on Facebook in front of the congregation mm. or your last 10 tweets, what would it say about you? Wow. Would it represent you? And one of the things that's happening with social media is it's actually uh, forming us and forming what we communicate. And some people are not forming their whole self. And so you look at them online and they're just one thing. It's all political posts. Right. It's all argumentative posts. And you meet that person in person and you go, they're, they're not like that. I mean, they, they're much more have a holistic reality. They're not just constantly talking about Biden or Trump or whatever. There's there's this greater sense of their identity. So we need to know that. We need to see if social media or the, the ways we're being segmented is pushing us into where the content we're sharing is not an accurate representation of who we are. I've found I'm pretty I'm more authentic on Twitter than I am on Facebook. And this is one of the reasons. Twitter is basically you you relate with people based on shared ideology shared conviction, shared humor. So people mm-hmm. who follow you like you for really what you've presented, who you are. Uh, of course, people who don't like you you know, are terrible, but usually it's a stranger. Usually it's just somebody who's going around and trolling people right. or upset. On Facebook, it's usually right. a relational thing. It's an aunt or an uncle, a grandparent. <laughs> and it's someone that we met not through right. shared ideology, but shared genetics or shared that our kids both are in soccer together. And so then right. when they start doing crazy things, in my opinion, oh, what do you do? You're like, I can't unfollow this person because now I'm unfollowing my uncle or block or mute. And so then we begin to worry about what we communicate and how we communicate it. And it's a little different for influencers who have a large audience right. uh, where, where they can do that more on social media. But to get to that point, especially for people who are trying to, let's say, grow their audience or grow the people they're uh, you know communicating to. It's why I really would encourage you to have a separate Facebook page. Don't just work it through your own Facebook page and have it more general. And then now your uncle is fighting with your followers and all that. You know, find a way 
to have it where you can be your authentic self. Because I think that's one of the struggles people right. are having relationally with Facebook is now it's, if I do this wrong, uh, the family reunion is going to be really rough. Uh, Twitter, I like, you know, a stranger can be terrible to me, but I'm never going to see that stranger again. So in some ways, that's why I think I've been able to be more authentic on Twitter than even right. Facebook. And uh, if my church people are listening to this now, I'm not being duplicitous, but it's hard because if I post like I'm struggling as a pastor on Facebook, the people in my church who tend to follow me more there than on Twitter, they'll take it personal, not in a mean way, but in a, oh, we're so sorry, yes. pastor. And now this whole relational thing where now I got to pastor them and let them know it's okay. And I just don't want to do that. I don't have to pastor people in that sense. If I say I'm really struggling pastoring, I can just be, they'll just not take it personal. They can feed into my life, but not think that I'm saying this about them or their, our context. Something you said when we started was that you really dislike the idea of having a brand. Yeah. And I want to hit on that for a second, just because content creators who are listening, that is just the reality of something that, you know, on the back end, your publisher, your publicity team, those are the types of questions that they start asking you is who are you? What's the brand? What's your voice? So how do you balance mm. all of that now that you are going to that other side? Okay, well, one of the things I'm going to argue with myself now, because I've said this, I've said, I don't like a brand. And then someone said, uh, isn't your website fairlyspiritual.org? Don't you go under fairly spiritual as your Twitter handle? <laughs> and isn't that branding? And I'm like, hmm. Uh, uh, but it's a different kind of branding. So I, it's, <laughs> it's my branding, so it's <laughs> fine. Right. Uh, you know, the, the context to me, I guess, is maybe, does your branding represent who you are? And is that your branding? Like some people need to have their own boundaries. I get that. If you're just an expert in one area and you really don't want people to know other aspects right. of your life, then that's perfectly appropriate to do that based on your own, even your own emotional well-being. You know, if you're like, I can only present certain parts of me because people are tearing me apart. I think about, and I don't even want to use her name except for that so many people admire her, but I see that struggle with Beth Moore, mm -hmm. that she's authentic on social media, but because she's been so attacked, uh, I think she's constantly trying to figure out what can I actually share because anything I share now is just depending upon if people like me or don't like me, it becomes polarized into something that's not even about me. I'm just trying to talk about making breakfast or, you know, feeding right. a donkey or something, you know. So right. to me, though, I as a pastor and as a minister, I want people to see um, just how a Christian lives their life, how mm. God works in my life and and how much I love Jesus and how amazing Jesus is and what he does in every relationship. So that's going to kind of be all of me. And particularly with Christians, what is the accusation against Christians? They're hypocrites. You don't really know them. They say one thing, but do another. They change their voice. We've all had pastors where you hear them preach and then they talk to you and they have a different voice than their right, preaching right. voice. And you're like, what happened to this guy? Like, who, you know? <laughs> Who so I feel like my goal is to be authentic. Also, when it comes to areas like uh, mental health, I think we should talk about mental health. I should tell people when I'm depressed or anxious. That's not the tip of the iceberg. It's just the iceberg. This is just mm -hmm. me. Because the more we can normalize, I think, as Mr. Rogers said, the more we can mention emotions and mention feelings, the better it is. And I'm paraphrasing Mr. Rogers. He said it much more simple and beautiful. But that part, I think, is important, right? I need to be able to so that people know pastors get depressed. They have limited serotonin and dopamine. We we struggle. Um, some pastors take uh, medicines for mental health or social media. That's the strength of it. I can let them know it's Monday and I want to quit my job. Now, I don't do that to keep people from making wow. me quit my job. I don't post so everybody yep. can parent me. or 
I just do it so they know, because I know there's another pastor out there. How many are there who are like, I want to quit today? And then they feel condemned, like, oh, I shouldn't feel that way. And good pastors don't feel this way. And I say, that's just garbage. We're people. We're human. It costs us something. So that's, to me, the the reason. I don't want branding to be a presentation. I think that's probably what most of the people get. I don't want it to be a false presentation of who I am. I, I really believe this, that I want people to reject the core of what I love because ultimately that'll motivate me in life. I but see. if I'm constantly afraid to express who I am, then you're just, you know, everything's torture and it's anxiety. So you have to learn to be who you are and then deal with the fact that some people won't like you. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, You partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. I want to share with everyone a quote from your book, which again is posting peace. And here's a quote that you say, you say, the internet allows you to be everywhere without being fully present anywhere. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the cure for this? Is there a way to do this with the internet still in the picture? Because, you know, a lot of young people are going to listen and say, I am not shutting down my Instagram. So what do you do? Well, and and by the way, they're not just young people. It'd be, and you know this, right? It's, <laughs> we ain't shutting down ours either. Right, I know. <laughs> Sometimes people talk, you're not doing this, but they'll talk about the internet as if, you know, Generation Xers are not young. Uh, even, you know, boomers who are fully engaged in. So it's right. just a part of our culture. Uh, it, I talk about this. There's a technological theorist, Marshall McLuhan, who said mm-hmm. every uh, medium or every technology extends a part of our human capacity and it numbs that part of our human capacity as it extends it, which and I, I, that might sound a little deep, but it's like the car extends our feet. It's a technology, allows us to travel farther than ever before. But it also numbs our feet in that we're more lazy. Mm. We can't walk anywhere. <laughs> you know, we drive around right. the parking lot to get a to get a spot so we can go in and work out, right? So this is the strength and weakness of social media. And that's my point. I'm not trying to make a book that it's all terrible or it's all great. There's It just exaggerates parts of our communication. Uh, so what's the strength of social media? I can be anywhere at any time. I can connect with people all around the world. I can connect with people with shared hurts, uh, shared interests, shared passions and callings. That's a good thing. So it, it allows that so easily. But what is it numbing? It's also numbing our ability to connect with people in meaningful ways through difficult conflicts and awkward situations. And we're seeing that. So someone is in the room with anyone. Let's just say they're in a a room and they're bored. When you were bored before social media, you had to find a way to deal with your boredom in a room, in a party, at church. 
And then those skills you learned are very helpful in learning how to abide with humans in the present. And many of us are not learning those skills. Mm -hmm. So the moment we're upset, what do we do? Or the moment we're bored, we just go to our phone and find something that immediately interests us. But are we developing the relationship with our kids, with our, you know, even for parents, you know, it's going to have to be intentional because it's kind of boring sometimes uh, at the playground with your kids or walking them with a stroller or just it's. And and the tendency is to give them part of your energy versus all your energy. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed to be on our phones, but am I connecting at a deeper level with the people God has entrusted to my care? So like for Mm -hmm. my kids. Early on in the car, if they were on their phones, I wasn't, I'm going to take all your phones, and I didn't have any legalism, but I'd say, who are you talking with? And I'd use that term. they go, what do you mean, who am I talking with? Who are you talking with? Because I wanted to acknowledge that they were having a conversation in the car with someone else other than me that I had no connection with. And just for them to know that they're intentionally making a decision, not that it's right or wrong, but they're intentionally making a decision to talk with someone else that I can't talk with in the car. And so then allowed them to make a choice. And I didn't do it passive aggressive, like, who are you talking with? You right, need to talk right. to me. But now they're processing it. And they're like, okay, uh, you know what? I can spend time with dad. I don't need to talk to this person now. Or, no, this is important. And <laughs> I need to do this. And I can't judge and say it isn't important. I don't live their right. life. That, to me, is a struggle of being present with people, is we have to intentionally be present. In the church, this is going to be our biggest struggle, because people are doing three things all day long. And they come into the church and we say, just do one thing. And I think we may even have to change the way we do church so people can do multiple things at the same time. Because there, my my son is looking at YouTube, he's playing his Switch, and he's got the office on just the audio on the TV or something. He's doing three things. And we've right. talked about this, but that's how his mind is being wired. Our culture is being wired. So how can I engage a mind like that instead of everyone be quiet, just look at me? hear my sermon. Like I'm going to have to maybe allow them to be doing multiple things while I'm preaching. Maybe they're looking something up. Maybe they're in small groups. I don't know. We're going to have to deal with this as we move forward. A question that I love asking people when they come and I ask because I think it's a question that I often had as I was trying to get into the field that I'm in. And I would look up to people and I'd perceive them to be so successful. And I just always wondered, like, did they always know that they were going to be here? Or did they feel like I feel right now? And so that's the question I'm going to ask you. Did you always know that you were going to be Doug Birch, pastor, radio host, author, social media phenomenon? Did you know that? Or or what did that process look like for you discovering where God was taking you? Well, I'm going to be honest. I tend to feel like a failure. I mean, I tend to feel like there's dreams I had that never came about that the things I wanted to do, I wasn't able to do. And then I would say like 90% of the things that I thought would happen haven't happened. And I think, I don't know, I think that's actually true for people that whatever level they get at, not to say levels of importance, but there's always this idea, but I wish I was at this other place. Mm. You know, there's always some other person that gets invited to speak <laughs> when you wanted to be the one to speak. I don't know. That's right. just how I felt. And so to me, it's been more a frustration. Like I felt like I have something to say, but people won't listen to it. Like I pastor a very small church. It's a normal sized church in the sense of what most church sizes are. <laughs> but because it's smaller, I know my denomination doesn't really respect me. I know mm. there's individuals who respect me, but I know who they platform. I know who they let speak. And it's not pastors of small churches. Mm. Um, I mean, sometimes, but it's usually kind of like, hey, there's a country church. Let's celebrate this guy who's So that's been a challenge for me. And what I've had to do is fight past that insecurity and just believe if God has told me to do something, do it. And don't do it based on my strength. 
So all these things, you know, radio, I just did it. I was complaining to God. I was like, you know, there's cults bigger than our church. There's people who believe in a goat. They worship a goat on a mountain and they have 200 people in their church and I only have a hundred. And I was just <laughs> like, how is this possible? And I'm arguing like, why would you put these desires on my heart right. to communicate to the larger church? And I feel like God said, uh, did I tell you not to do those things? Did I tell you to wait till you had a certain amount of power? Right. Or, and so I just stopped waiting. I just thought, I'm just going to do what God puts on my heart. So I started doing some radio thing. I started writing. I'm dyslexic. It's a difficult thing to write, but it's like, mm. just started writing books, started presenting. My first book I self-published, didn't even send it to anyone. You know, the second one I got, you know, InterVarsity's press is publishing it. And that's great. That's wonderful. But I didn't write the book so a publisher could find it or not. I just started being obedient to what God put on my heart. And then he can decide or the world can decide whether to accept or reject it. Because we know Jesus was rejected by whole cities. Right. So you may have something amazingly beautiful and people will reject it. You won't have an audience. You won't be a bestseller. But it doesn't mean you weren't supposed to do it. You, you want to mm. stand before the Lord and say, I didn't bow down. I didn't bow down to this world. I didn't bow down to the power dynamics of this world. People aren't supposed to do stuff based on how many people I have. If I got 11,000 or 12,000, they're supposed to hear Christ in me and say, hey, that resonates with my heart. Like I know right now someone's listening and it resonates with their heart and they're not following me based on the power dynamic. They're based on, I feel like God is speaking to me through this person. And ultimately, isn't that how the church should move forward anyway? Because the most dangerous people are people who have big followings, big whatever, and they think they have a right to speak because of that. They're like, now you should listen to me, and I'm more important because more people think I'm important. That's when we get dangerous. Right. That's when the narcissist rise up in our church and take over the expression of Christ. So for me, uh, I, there are situations where I'm like, as a dyslexic, I never thought I'd have a book published. That's amazing. That's, you know, yes, thank you, Lord. But I have to deal with the fact there's there's part of me that always wants more. I want more people to read the book. I want more opportunities <laughs> to speak. I want, I want, I'm never satisfied. So I have to remind myself, Doug, the value is not in the outcomes. It's in the doing. It's not in the reception. It's in the doing. And that frees me just to follow the things God's put on my heart. And it helps me when I look at something and go, well, you know, it's not what I wanted, but I know God is using me and I can't really assess what's happening from a, you know, eternal perspective or even from God's perspective. I have to affirm you though, because I think, and I'm sure you just pastored a bunch of people who are listening right now. I know you did me, but the ability to be honest, which is again, I think that that is quintessential Doug, but the ability <laughs> to be honest about, even for you to say, there's a part of me that will always want more. There are so many people that feel that exact thing, but would never say it out loud. Yeah. And so I'm grateful to see a pastor be willing to say that out loud. Cause I know for my own life, like when I see jealousy or I feel jealousy, I have to say it out loud because that's yeah. how I can give it to God. Yeah. And so we have to allow people to say it. So I just want to thank you for doing that. And I want to thank you for not quitting. Can you tell us, was there a time that you felt like I quit? I don't yeah, want to do this anymore. It was last Sunday. <laughs> like, I don't know how many times I've like, I think, you know, I'm not for legalism, but I don't think I'm allowed to quit on Sunday or Monday because <laughs> I just not, you know, you don't understand, Doug. It's like, you know, how you're not supposed to do stuff with your hair when you're in an emotional state. Like, don't <laughs> right. I hear this for women. Like, right. it's not the time to dye your hair if you're in an emotional, just wait a day, you know, right. <laughs> you'll see if you want to do it. That's for me with ministry as well. Well, this is the thing when you're honest with people, some people say they want pastors to be transparent and honest, but I would argue they don't. <laughs> Uh, I agree with because you. a couple things. One, they'll use those against you. Yep. But the other is like I'll tell the church, I didn't become a pastor because I wanted more friends. Like 
I, I just more people to disappoint and hurt, but I've been called to ministry. So if I can be in community, you can be in community. I know that right. can sound bad, but sometimes pastors or leaders or influencers will present themselves as the way people want to be. And so some people want that. They want you to be a little more perfect than them. They want you to be a destination that they can reach. And this is very dangerous to present yourself as a destination people can reach. It's like, if I do what Doug does, I'll have the marriage Doug has. Or if I do what Doug does, I'll have the kids or I'll have the... And so they don't want to hear that you're just like them. They don't want to hear that you're still depressed today, even though you have lots of followers, because they want, once I get enough followers, I'll no longer be depressed. I remember how upset I was when our church had a really big attendance Sunday. And I was finally like, yeah, we had a lot of people show up. And driving home, I was like, that didn't feed me at all. I mean, it was good, but it didn't Mm. feed that thing in me that only Christ can feed. It didn't help the fact that numbers will never satisfy me. It ultimately has to be, you know, Christ with me, the hope of glory. So that's the part to me is when you start being honest with people, and and this is the thing, if you start sharing your weaknesses, your failings, uh, just who you are, some people will reject that because they want you to be a projection of what they want to be in the future. And sadly, I've been around some pastors where they present a false narrative of who they are. And when you get to know them, it's you know, like the hyper-faith guys, like everything's going to be healed and that, but you see them in real life and you're like, this guy, that's not how he lives his life. You know, right. he puts on reading glasses. That means his eyes are actually decaying. So he doesn't believe in total health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a reality that, he, you know, so those parts, I just decided I'm going to try because I can't, I can't pretend. My father would tell me this. He's the wisest man I've ever known is, Doug, if you pretend, people will eventually find you out. So just be yourself because you're dearly loved by God. You're an expression, you know, of his beauty on earth. When you walk into the room, the light and life of Christ walks into the room with you. So make room for Jesus. And then they can judge whatever they want. And I think the best way to make room for Jesus is to be your authentic self in mm-hmm. Christ in any room, in any online conversation. That's ultimately with posting peace. You know, my goal is when we allow Christ to move in us, we become reconcilers. We become peacemakers. And it's not, by the way, the book's not just about everybody get along. It means we're confronting people who are in darkness or are perpetuating dark ideas with the light and life of Jesus Christ because we love them, not because Mm -hmm. we're trying to be right, but because we love our enemies, we love those who don't understand, and we're trying to break down every dividing wall of hostility between them and God and between each other. So that's our motivation. Thanks, Doug, for joining us for this episode. We like to end every episode with a little segment I call Growing Viral, and this is where I scour the Viral Jesus hashtags on all of our social channels and look for a message from someone who maybe you haven't heard of yet, but you should certainly be following as they grow viral. Today, we talk to Joshua Wu. Joshua Wu was born in Taiwan and has since lived in Singapore, London, and places across the East Coast and Midwest. He currently lives in Rochester, New York with his family and works as a vice president for a global communications and data analytics firm. He is also serving as the editorial director for Reclaim, the magazine of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. He has a PhD in political science from the Ohio State University and is passionate about using data to contextualize stories and narratives about faith, culture, politics, and society. 
something that I know about you is you are really well-versed in research. Can you tell me what are you seeing right now in the research and the studies in evangelicalism? And I know it's a space that you're really active in and you're passionate about. I'm just going to ask you, like, what are you seeing right now in the research in that space that you think we all need to be more aware of? Thanks, Heather. Uh, That's a great question. I think that there are two things that are sort of trends that we need to be aware of um, in the church. I think one is that there is a fragmentation going on, right? I think people who read the Bible the same way are now having very different interpretations and applications of how the things we believe about God should translate into a society and our communities and our laws and our policies. So I think that's one. I think the second one is just that there's a lot of pushback among people who are seeing the data about evangelicals and saying, well, those aren't my evangelicals or those aren't people that I know, right? And so I think what we are in a, we're in an opportunity where I think we need to be able to think about is what is being said on a macro national level corresponding to my own experience? And if it doesn't, and there's that dissonance, uh, is it my experience that needs to change? Is it that I need to expand my social circles and, you know, other voices that I'm not hearing? Or is it that, in fact, the, the fracturization and fragmentation of the evangelical church, so to speak, is so large that we should cease to talk about us as one church, but as many different churches? And so can I ask you, do you think we've always been fragmented and we just weren't aware of it? Or, or do you think that this is new? Yeah, I think one is actually, I think we just need to read our Bibles better. You know, I think oftentimes there's this desire to be like, well, you know, I grew up and I read this and this is how I interpret this verse and this chapter. And then we sort of just move on and try to sort of live that out. I think one is that we need to turn back to the word and really study it for ourselves and to sort of, uh, and, to be, and to be able to think about what is that, you know, how does the truth of God that I learned when I was 12? How is that different now that I am? over 30, you know, and like, and have children. I think that's one. And then secondly, I think is again, to, to think about what are the voices that I'm hearing or more specifically not hearing? You know, uh, I grew up in Asian American and white church spaces where literally I've never heard a non-white male theologian mentioned from the pulpit, right? And so great, like there's a lot of truth there, but we need to hear from different voices because I think those voices help us to better understand the otherwise unknowable uh, magnitude of who God is. I love that one of the things that you said is that we need to wrestle with scripture more because I think that there's this really big misconception that if I talk about race issues, if I talk about marginalized groups, I'm some radical leftist liberal who doesn't even, who believes that culture needs to like answer to the Bible. And I think that that's such a misconception because I too, like scripture changed my life and wrestling with it changed my life. So I'm so glad that you encourage young people to do that as well. How can our, how can our listeners find you? And I think it's important that you do right now, if you're listening, that you find Joshua online, because here's what we need. We need more informed voices. And he's informed. So where can our listeners find you? Great. So uh, I'm probably most active on Twitter at uh, Josh S. Wu, W-U. That's where I think I post uh, most of my things. Uh, You know, I've sort of become the, you know, parent with child where Facebook is now just, you know, 
uh, pictures for the um, grandparents and stuff. Yeah, so I think definitely Twitter at uh, Josh S. Wu, W-U. Thank you so much, Joshua, for joining us on this episode. We hope you will not rest until you find Joshua Wu and support his voice, his ministry, and his work. Join me in supporting his growing viral community. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and rate us on your preferred platform. Join us next time as we talk to my friend, YouTuber Justin Koo. He is going to tell you everything you need to know about how to get people to stop scrolling when they see your content. I can't wait to share that conversation with you. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.